here at Sojourn, we believe in the gospel. The gospel that says that God created us all and that we had rejected him and rebelled against him, gone our own way, insisting on our own way, as, as 1 Corinthians says, that it's the opposite of love. We insist on our own way, rejecting God, giving him the stiff arm. But God loved us enough to, to come after us, to pursue us in, the, in himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. And here at Sojourn, we, we trust in that gospel. We believe in that gospel that we can have life in the name of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this love of God, we, we have to remember that, that we're reflecting, we're imaging the love of God that has been displayed clearly for us in Christ Jesus. And this is love, not that he looked down on the world and looked down into our lives and said, you know what, they are really lovable, so I will love them. Or they have something that's really beautiful about them, so I will come after them in love. What God did is, is still ought to blow our minds is that God's love wasn't prompted by our beauty, wasn't prompted by our goodness, wasn't prompted by our being lovable. God is just of his very nature and character loving. And so that is what is displayed to us when we receive this love of God. We're talking about a love that didn't look at us and see something great, but loved us just because that's who he is. This is one of the very purposes he created the world, which we talked about last week, was not to give or receive love in relationship. He already had that, but to share it. And I hope we never get over that love of God. And as we finish up 1 Corinthians 13, I want that to be in our minds, that to be the prominent point, because what we're trying to do and what Paul is trying to get these Corinthians to do through writing this love chapter is to get them to image and reflect this love that God has shown. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to finish up the, the rest of chapter 13 today. We'll be starting in, in verse 8. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, grab one and keep it, or you can follow along on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, unveil your beauties to our sight through your word that we might know you more. May we know and stand behind this word of truth. We not lean on our own understanding, but lean on yours. Father, teach us what it means to love. Teach us what it means to love one another. Teach us what it means to be marked and distinguished by our love. And may this chapter work in our hearts to uproot those places that aren't loving. God, may we display to this world the love that you have displayed to us the best we can. Help us to do it. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Do you guys remember floppy disks? You didn't think I was going to ask that question. And it probably didn't stun you that like you thought something deep was coming and I said floppy disks. Do you remember floppy disks? Some of you surely remember floppy disks. 
When I was in high school, if you don't know, floppy disks are like a, a data storage, right, for computers. When I was in high school, they gave every single student a floppy disk to store all the stuff that it, they, they'd done throughout their high school kind of career, the papers or projects, all those kind of things. You could store them on your floppy disk, and when we left, they gave us this floppy disk to, to send with us to keep, to use as a resource in college or, or wherever you would go. And I, I found out real quick when I got to college that Fairview, where I grew up, is a little bit behind the times in this area. I go with my floppy disk to college, and I try to, like, find a machine to plug it into, and there weren't very many around. They had updated their system since, like, 1990 or whenever floppy disks came out. But floppy disks were this thing that was useful for time but kind of gave way to something better. You can think of other things like this, like the cassette tape. You go back further, you know, 8-track, other things like that. But the cassette tape, that, that was something that I used to push record on my stereo and get it on these blank cassette tapes so that you could play them in your car. Now we don't even have CD. You don't even have anything. It's just all on a cloud somewhere, and it just comes with your phone, and you can just play it wherever you want. It was something, like cassette tape was useful for a time, but kind of gave way to something better. And we often, when we look at, at this kind of stuff in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's going to talk about something that is good now, useful now, but will give way to something better. We often in our lives give ourselves to things that might be good for a time, but won't be good for very long, like floppy disks or cassette tapes or spending our efforts and our times on things that don't have eternal value. We could go on and on in our own hearts with those kind of things. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter of love, Paul is starting in 1 Corinthians 11, started addressing their corporate worship together. Starting in chapter 12, he started addressing spiritual gifts and how they're being exercised and worked out among them. And he doesn't take a detour when he comes to chapter 13. He guides them into this. This is how things are to work. This is how uh, your lives and your exercising of gifts and your corporate gatherings are to work. They're to work through this thing called love. And so Paul, once again, 1 Corinthians 13, moving us to live these lives of love. And here he gives us a, a, a steadfast, hard, and true reason why we should live in love. And that is because love never ends. Love is permanent. Gifts will die. People who have those gifts and exercise those gifts and the ministries that they have will die. I hope you realize that I'm going to die. You're going to die. Your ministries, your gifts, they're all going to die. The gifts themselves will pass away. But love, love, Paul says, is permanent. It never ends. And so love is this foundational characteristic of God's people now and in eternity. Love is this foundational characteristic of God's people even into eternity and is the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is something that we need to be corrected on and the Corinthians need to be corrected on as well. Thinking that the greatest evidence that the Spirit dwell indwells you, that the greatest evidence that the Spirit is alive and active among us is, is some sort of outward display of gifting. And instead, I think Paul would point us to this outward display of loving. So this section, as you look at kind of the end of chapter 13, it's bound by love on each side. If you look in verse 8, love never ends. If you look in verse 13, love abides. It's the more excellent way that Paul has been pointing us to. And so in conclusion to, to the chapter, or verse 1 through 7, and kind of even starting the next chunk of verses, he says this in verse 8, love never ends. Your translation might say it never fails. That's a good translation as well. It never ends. It never fails. And so he spends this entire chapter talking about love. 
We saw in the beginning the necessity of love, that you can exercise all these powerful gifts and still gain and be nothing. He spent a lot of time talking about the character of love, that it's, it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. He does all those things. But now he's bringing up to in the front of our minds the permanence of love, that it's lasting. And he is trying to put love in this place of primacy in their congregational life. He's, he's emphasizing it as the more excellent way based on its abiding principles, based on its permanence. And so we read, love never ends. And honestly, like this is really good news for us. God's love never ends toward us. I mean, this is specifically a chapter talking about love for one another, but we think about God's love. It, it doesn't end for you. When you die and you are with God forever, it's not as if he's just going to, all right, we're, we're together now. I don't need to love you anymore. It's going to, it, it's going to endure. It's going to last. It's permanent. He is going to love us even then. But the, the honesty is for us as well that we can love back. We will be able to do that. Love never ends. There's not a lot of people that say, I, mean, I just hate feeling loved. Or I hate giving love because we know we have the inside of us given to us by God in the image of our creator that feeling loved and loving is a good thing and it's a joyous thing even in the midst of great heartache. And so this verse here, love never ends, is a tremendous mercy given to us by our Father who loves us. Now the same thing cannot be said about spiritual gifts that the Corinthians stressed. If you look at the end of verse 8, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So not only can we practice these gifts without love and gain and be nothing, but also here we see that these gifts in and of themselves pass away, that they don't last. And so Paul is bringing out this comparison between gifts and love to remind them that love is foundational for corporate worship, Love is foundational for your lives, and love is foundational for your exercise of these gifts. And so this is why love is primary. It never ends, whereas gifts, they will cease. The question that's probably on everybody's mind as we start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is when will they cease? Well, let's keep looking. Verse 9 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I want us to see that the clear distinctions that Paul is making here between the partial and the perfect, between the, the now and the then. This knowledge and tongues and prophecies are only in part and will pass away when the perfect comes. And so the question is, when is the perfect coming? What is the, the perfect there? But the idea is that because of our imperfection now, we need gifts to build us up and to be working. And because of our imperfection all these gifts are only in part. So we only exercise these gifts as sinners, as imperfect, as broken people. But he says that these gifts will cease when the perfect comes. So what does that mean? I think the, a plain reading of the text and kind of going through even what, how, how Paul uses these words, that the plain reading would say that the perfect comes upon Jesus' return. That when we see him, we'll be like him. And then all the imperfections of us will, will disappear. So I think that just a plain reading of the text would say that perfection comes upon Jesus' return, and that the gifts will last until that time. That means for us to have clear picture of what we think the, the, the plain reading of the text would be, that all gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, healing, etc., all would continue until the perfect come. 
the people who are called continuationists, who believe that the miraculous gifts are still in existence and exercise today, would absolutely point to this verse and these verses and say, see, it seems pretty clear here that these gifts are continuing on. But I want to stop us there and just kind of give us some warnings that I don't think the text is quite as clear as, as to make this the final text of this entire issue. It seems clear right there, but I think there's a few wrenches that we can throw in it that would really throw you out of whack. Jim and I spent hours talking about these this week. Paul's primary emphasis in this passage, I think as you'll see as we continue to work through it, isn't on when the gifts start and stop. His primary emphasis is clearly on the partial and the perfect, on the now and the then. And so he's speaking to the partial aspect of these gifts. They are in part, and this in part has to do with their content, not necessarily the media. It's not the function of the gifts that he's talking about. It's the content of the gifts that is in part. And so the the way the gifts come out, the media of it, is kind of incidental. So what matters here is that the content is in part. He's not speaking of the function. He's speaking of the content. And so the time of the gifts stopping and ceasing and cessation is really not the point here. It's not what Paul is really addressing. He's talking about partial contents. So I like what one... uh, one commentator said, I'm right here with him, I agree with this. He says, this text, therefore, does not indicate that certain gifts will cease before that state, the state of perfection, before perfection comes, but neither does this text affirm the continuation of these gifts until the coming of Christ. So how's that for like a right down the, right down the middle, not choosing a side either way? And I'm like, yes, I like it. How's that for a conclusion? But I think he's right. If you want to... Uh, make an issue on either side, if you want to make a case for either side, you have to pull for more than this text because it's not quite as clear as all that to make the issue final. And so that's what I think he's saying. It's not indicating that all the gifts are continuing until perfection comes, and it's not saying necessarily that they've stopped now and then we're waiting for perfection. That's not this verse. The primary point of this text is to get us to live these lives of love and is showing that love is permanent and gifts are partial and they will pass away. It's not to tell us when they start and when they stop. That's not what Paul is going for. So again, we see through here this this comparison of the partial and the perfect. Gifts will cease, but love, it never ends. And so let us not miss the focus of this passage on these other issues that surround it. We want to talk about those issues. We want to discuss them. But let's not miss the primary point. Let's not miss the low-hanging fruit from this passage based on loud arguments from each side. Instead, what I think we should do when we come to 1 Corinthians 13, especially these passages that have some difficulty with them, we should spend more time considering, since we don't know all the ins and outs, we should spend more time considering how we can love than how we can officially argue our case for certain gifts. How can we love? How can we walk in love? Because we know, that's clear, it never ends. Think of uh, math, thinking of school now, everything's going to start. Think about math problems. We never used, allowed to use calculators until we were way up in advanced math in high school. I always thought that was such a ripoff. Like, just let us use the calendar. People in the real world, or <laughs> calculator. People in the real world use calculators. If I need to do a math problem, I use a calculator. But the truth is, is that I'm thankful that they didn't let me use a calculator all the time because I would have only received partial truth there, right? I can plug some numbers in and get some answers out, but I have no idea the process behind it. And so that one day could possibly not be available to me. And then what would I do? No, they, they, they taught us a lasting way. 
a way that will serve us beyond our battery life, the way that will serve us beyond our accessibility of a calculator. They taught us how to do these things. It's a valuable thing. And so the partial was giving way to something that was more important. It was useful for a time. It's useful in certain circumstances. If I have something I need to calculate, I use the calculator. But I also can do it by hand, most of the stuff, depends on what it is. Because there's, there's lasting use there. They taught us something, spent time on something, give primacy to something that was going to serve us for years. And this is what Paul is trying to do. The Corinthians had spent time and effort and discussion and division on these gifts, on who is spiritual and who isn't based on certain gifts, on who's mature and who isn't based on their exercise of these gifts. And Paul wants to make sure, not that all these gifts are the the thing they, they consider as spiritual, but he wants to make sure that they love one another and that they know that they need to love one another. He wants them to spend more time there. You know what? It's an easy trap to fall into. Spend more time on gifts, how they're displayed, than it is to spend on how can we love one another. Because after all, gifts are what can be a display of the Spirit, right? They can make us seem, they can even make us feel like we're a spiritual person. They can give people tangible evidence that the Spirit's in me. If I can do this, then people will know, right? Where love is tough. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not rude. It's patient. It's kind. All those things are hard to do. It's selfless. It's, it's denying myself for the good of another person. It costs us. It pains us. Think about kids. If you have kids, you know the cost of love. Loving your kids means sometimes you don't sleep very well. Loving your kids means you've spent your money in drastically different ways than if you didn't have kids. That's what love is, though, in that scenario. This is love. So it's not something that's fancy and not something everyone's going to look at all the time and be like, wow, look at that. He must have the Spirit. But this is what Paul is pointing to. It's not showy, but it was to be characteristic of believers. It was essential for their body. It was essential for the exercising of any spiritual gifts that they had. And in our corporate body, we need to be more concerned about loving one another than displaying gifts. So we come on Sunday. We gather together. And hopefully our greatest desire when we come here is to express love to God and love to one another, not to display our gift. We go to home group, and our desire at home group is to dive in deep with relationship with one another, to love one another, to grow in our love for one another, not to display any of our gifts. Now that doesn't mean you won't display those gifts in those settings. I hope you can and do. But may it always be done with the primary objective in mind, to love other people. Last week we talked about the pipe through which the water is to flow in your house. If, if water does not flow through the pipes, it can cause huge problems. And the gifts are to be flown through this certain area, this certain thing. And this is the pipe. It's through love. Or else there might be great destruction and great damage in the exercising of gifts. It's all to go through love. It is the more excellent way. And so Paul is pointing out to us a few different details to get us to, to hone in on this, to see that this is a more excellent way. The gifts are fleeting. Love, it's permanent. It never ends. Even the content of these gifts, it's partial. We, we prophesy in part. We know in part. We don't have the fullness yet. And so we shouldn't exalt them beyond what they really are meant to do. We need to just plug in to love. Not a lot of people's spiritual gifts are going to lend themselves to, to nursery. Maybe you, maybe you don't have the spiritual gift of taking care of kids. But maybe that shouldn't be your primary question. Your primary question is, how can I love this body well? 
And if I can love this body well by jumping into the nursery and serving there, then let's do that. Because we're not about a display of our own gifts. We're about loving one another. And I think through that, God will work in ways that we can't even imagine. Because what we're doing in that moment is we're imaging our God. And that matters. And so this scripture, it points us to a different perspective. Perspective that the perfect is coming and there's some partial now in the things that will pass away. Gifts are in part, and that's the point that Paul is emphasizing. And he gives this, these two analogies as we continue on to, to continue this These gifts are in part. So both analogies, as we look in in verse 11 on down, both of these analogies are speaking to the the gifts passing nature, the gifts being in part. So if you look in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There's a difference that Paul is drawing, a comparison he's drawing between the present and the future, between the now and the then. Behavior for one period of life isn't necessarily carry over to every single period of life. It's not necessarily appropriate to act one way in another age. Does this make sense? My, my son is here. Edward yelled at him earlier for making some noise during some prayer time. But if he were really doing that seriously, wouldn't we be like, Edward, what, what is your problem here? You don't yell at a one-year-old for, for making noises. It's what he does. But if, if my son was my age and he's just yelling and screaming like he was making noise when when we're praying, when we're, when we're trying to be quiet and listen to the Word of God, then we'd be like, all right, that, that now is no longer appropriate for you, right? You can't do that anymore. It's okay for babies to, to have a bottle of milk and sit on their mom's lap, but if you're my age and you do that, like, all right, let's, let's start talking now. Like, there's things that, like, aren't appropriate for certain ages, and that might be something you need to move away from, and this is what Paul is getting at. When I was like a child, there's there's a behavior that's appropriate for them. But when I became a man, I gave up those things. It's no longer appropriate for that area. And he's saying speaking in tongues, prophecy, all these gifts, they're appropriate for now, but they're not always going to be. They're, they're, they're now, but soon they will give way to something more permanent. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not important. It doesn't mean that they're not helpful, but it does mean that they don't last. They will not continue on forever. He gives another analogy to kind of drive his, his, his point home even more. If you look in verse 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Notice the difference. Again, he's the now and the then. Here's what's happening now. Here's what's this. He says, now we see in a mirror dimly. The Corinthians were renowned for their bronze. I guess they were really good at bronze. I don't know if it was there in Corinth, but apparently they're good bronze workers. And this is how they would make mirrors. They would have this great bronze, and they'd polish it up really, really well, and that would be their mirrors at the time. And Corinth was, was known for their great bronze, some of the finest bronze around, apparently. But even with the best bronze that Corinthian money could buy, you're still seeing in a mirror. And it's different than seeing face-to-face. It's not face-to-face. It's an indirect sight of what's going on there. It's not looking at yourself. It's seeing a reflection of yourself. And so it's not the same as being face-to-face with someone. And so he says this, the same thing. It's, that's the now, and here's the then. Even with the best bronze, you're, you're not seeing it fully. It's only good for now. We think of a uh, current-day kind of illustration of this would be a photo of someone. You could see a photo of someone, and then they'd show up face-to-face, and you'd be like, wait, wait, who are you again? I mean, if you look at people's driver's license, like, then you see them in, in person, like, who are you? One of these persons is an imposter. Like, this did not work out well. Maybe this photo didn't go well, but that seems like how it goes with driver's license, right? But if you were seeing that photo, it would be so much different than seeing someone face-to-face. You see it now, but it's dimly. It's indirect. 
soon we will have the full picture. And this is what Paul is getting at. There's a now and a then. Now we see dimly, then we see face to face. Now I know in part, then I should know fully. So even now we know in part, soon it will be full. And so in, in Corinthians, Paul tells them later in 2 Corinthians, he says, for now we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. It's indirect. We're seeing in the mirror dimly. We're not seeing face to face. But soon we will have sight. We walk by faith now. Faith being this conviction of the unseen. We have this steadfast, solid trust, but we don't see it. We don't know it. We don't know it face to face. We walk by faith. Our vision, our knowledge of all these things of God, he's pointing out, is not complete. We see through sinful eyes. We think through sinful brains now. But soon, but there is a then. We shall see face to face. We shall know fully. Our faith will one day be sight. And what Paul is giving these two analogies for is that he would draw out the difference of the now and the then, the present and the future, to get them to see the difference between passing gifts that will cease and love that never ends. Gifts are a part of the Christian life now, but they won't last. They will come to the end of their use. Love, on the other hand, is on the opposite end. It's appropriate now and it's appropriate later. It's permanent and it will never fail. Let us not mix up the now and the then. Gifts are now. Use them, exercise them, build up the body with them, pour them out so that God might be glorified, but they're for now and they're going to pass away. Don't forget that they're not ultimate. They're not going to last and they're not the mark of what is a spiritual person. Paul's not saying to eliminate gifts because they won't last. Get rid of those things in the present. Stop that altogether. It's not what he's saying. But he does want to emphasize love in the now and the then. And if this is true, then think of the necessity of love. If it's going to last, then how much more do we need to start practicing it and imaging it right here now? This is what Paul, this is what God says about sin as well. It's going to cease in the heavens. It's going to cease upon Christ's return. And so stop sinning now because this is where you're going to be forever. The same thing is true of love. It's going to go on forever. Start loving now in the way you're supposed to love. The mark of a spiritual person isn't these gifts, as the Corinthians would think, but it's love. Love is this more excellent way. It's not going to be something that gives way in the end to something else. It will be there. And so as we near the end of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul kind of gives us this concluding remark in verse 13, which happens to be at, the same, at one time one of the most well-knowns of, of chapter 13, and I think probably the most difficult of this entire chapter. If you look in verse 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You can probably find that on a thousand items in Hobby Lobby. And I'm telling you, like, I seriously think that this might be the hardest verse in chapter 13. And yet it is everywhere, like it's no big deal. Faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these is love. Well, I have all sorts of problems with this and questions that I don't know if I can answer. Faith, hope, and love, where do they come from? He's been talking about love this whole time, and all of a sudden he's like, at the end, faith and hope, they abide too. I just throw them in there. Where does that come from, Paul? Like, you've been talking about love, and now all of a sudden now you're talking faith and hope included in there. I, I don't understand that. Another problem we see here is he, he says, in, in my translation, the ESV, it says, so now. So now. So what does this mean, so now? Is he speaking of the now and the then that he was talking about before? Is it now? Is it temporally? Or some people take it that the so now is, is more of a therefore. Therefore, faith, hope, and love. And so he's kind of like shifted a little bit, not necessarily talking about the now 
and the then. So you see these, these, these problems that I'm dealing with here in this, this verse. Post it on your wall if you want. I'm just saying, beware of, of some wrong interpretations of what's going on here. Now, I think that when we look at faith, hope, and love, what Paul is getting at is that these, these three, these three things, faith, hope, and love, kind of embrace all of the Christian experience, all of the Christian life in the present. One, one author has said that in some sense, therefore, love is the all-embracing virtue. The all-embracing virtue. And so faith, hope, and love, all of these, it kind of embrace all in, all in love, and faith, hope, and love can be included in that. This is the whole of the Christian experience in the present. But he's very clear to point out, but the greatest of these is love. It's this all-embracing virtue. It should be characterizing of the people of God now and eternity, and it's foundational to all that we do as believers, love. And indeed, he says, it never ends. But it's still hard for me to see how faith and hope run into this. All right? if, we, if we take the so now as something that's more of a therefore than, than a so now, right now in this time, in this present time, then what do we say about faith and hope? Because it seems like if you look at faith and hope, that they won't last either. And I'll make my case for this, even though it could be wrong. Faith will one day be sight. We won't need to trust and, and have this conviction in things unseen because we will see it face to face. And hope, we know, will be fulfilled finally and fully in Christ Jesus upon his return. And so how do faith and hope carry over? So I'm taking this so now as the temporally uh, interpretation. It is a now. Faith, hope, and love abide now in this present life. And they kind of give a summary of the Christian life now. And the greatest of these is love. It's the one that will abide forever. It's the one that will last. And so when we look at verse 13, no matter where you land on these issues, something is clear. The greatest is love. That part is really clear. That part we can go in on. Scripture insists, it insists that God is love. He has all these loving actions, but it never insists that God is hope or faith. He's the object of those things. He's the object of our hope. He's the object of our faith, but he's never said to be God is hope. God is faith. No, he is love. He is love. And love is the greatest of these because in our love, we can image God in a way that we can't with our faith and can't with our hope. And so faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these in love. And out of all these things that are important, love is the greatest. Love is the one that lasts into eternity. It is the one that abides. Therefore, it needs to be our distinguishing mark as believers. It's the pipe through which everything ought to flow. Our actions, our gifts, our corporate gatherings, all things flow through that. It's the primary marker of the Holy Spirit, not gifts. And so love ought to receive prominence in our lives. It ought to receive prominence in our gatherings. It ought to receive, receive prominence in our exercising of our own gifts. It should be primary. We should be more concerned with loving one another than displaying these gifts. When you look in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul starts out writing to the Corinthians, and he, he kind of gives a thanks to them. He does this often in his letter. But look how he thanks them. Look how he gives thanks to God for them. He says, I give thanks, starting chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what does Paul commend him for here? You have all these gifts, and they're going to carry on, and they're going to ex be exercised for the, the building up until Christ returns. 
You have these gifts. He, he gives thanks to God that they have all these gifts, but he doesn't give thanks to them for being this super loving church. And that Paul, is, he's, he's a really gracious guy, I think, in a lot of ways, sees the image of God in them, sees how God is working in them, and thanks God for the gifts that are at work in their corporate life. But he doesn't look at them and doesn't characterize them by their love for one another. And when we start working through 1 Corinthians, we can see why. There's divisions. There's problems. There's pride. There's sin. It's all worked its way right into the middle of the church. And so they're not known for their love. Paul can't look at them and commend them for their love while he can for their gifts. Now, it's not that he's saying that gifts are unimportant, but we should be known by our love. We ought to be able to be looked at and seen for a church that's known for its love. They emphasize gifts at the cost of loving one another. They glorified gifts at the cost of displaying love that God has displayed among them. I would hope that if if we were to receive some sort of commendation from our Lord, that he would be able to commend us more for our love than for our spiritual gifts. We need more churches like that. More churches that aren't known for there's the place where great teaching is. Or there's the place where their tongues are really amazing. There's the place where you can go to get healing. We need more churches that are known for there's the place you can go and be loved. Not the love of the world, but the love that is willing to speak truth. The love that is willing to embrace sinners. The love that is willing to walk alongside people with the gospel. We need more churches that are known for that. May that be said of sojourn. Love deserves prominence in our lives, in our gatherings, in our use of the gifts. There's a lot of things that, that Paul shows that could keep us from loving, even in his characteristics of love. So I thought through a few. What, what keeps us from loving? I think one of the first is just not showing up, not being there. That sounds crazy, but when you think about God's love that we're trying to image, God's love showed up. God didn't just hands off on the world and say, good luck with all that. He came into it. He joined it. He joined sinners and walked alongside them. We have to be around people. We have to be around one another to really love one another. If you're never here, you never love. If you're not consistent, you're probably in and out on your love. Busyness. We can be so busy with so many things, even the exercise of spiritual gifts, that we forget that we really have to love people. Fear. We don't want to be open and honest with people so we can't receive or give love the way we're meant to. I mean, an obvious one when you're looking through how what keeps us from love is this self, this desire for my own kingdom, and it's building up. So I talk about the things I want to talk about, and I listen to the things I want, and I go as far as I want to go. And that's not loving. Inward focus, looking toward my kingdom and my own, love doesn't insist on its own way. We also think through the Corinthian case, they had sin amongst them. That's not love to just say we just, we're good with whatever. Anybody can come in and live however they want, and we're just going to love you through that. No. Love speaks the truth. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And God has placed us all in this body so that we could display love for one another and in that be imaging our God who has loved us. God has placed us here, another way of putting that, not primarily to be loved, although that should happen, but to love others. We've heard this illustration probably many times before, but... Think of this love tank. It's a popular book has included this in its, in its contents, this love tank, that sometimes your love tank is empty and you just need to be recharged. And I just want to tell you, like, when I look at Scripture, I, I just don't see that. Because when we look at Scripture, here's what we see. 
We love if you do love because God first loved us. And how did God love us? John says the same thing again. God loved us in that he gave his, sin to, his son to die for us. He gave himself for us. He came down after us. He rescued us by bearing a cross that we deserved. This is love. And then John says, see how much love God has given us that we should be called children of God. And so for believers, here's what you see. God loves you enough to give his son for you and not just to give his son for you, but to adopt you into his family and call you a son like he calls his own son. And if you're not a believer, know that God has loved you enough to send a son after you that you might come into this family and be a child of God. And so when I look to the scripture, I don't see any in all creation from any person ever throughout history this love tank that's empty. It's not empty. Maybe you don't see how full it is, but that's why we sing, look to the cross, behold the Lamb of God. That's why we sing about that stuff, because we want you to see the love of God, that your love tank isn't empty, that it's overflowing more than you can ever imagine, that a God out of his own nature loved you. And so in reflecting and imaging that great God of love, shouldn't our corporate gatherings, shouldn't our lives be marked with love more than anything else? Spiritual gifts, they're, they're hugely beneficial. They are so helpful in building up the body. We need one another's gifts. They are to work for the common good, and indeed they do. Many of you have experienced it. This is how this gift has worked for this good. They defend us against things that would come and harm us. They unite us together under the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go on and on and on of the benefits of spiritual gifts, but they're not ultimate. Love never ends. Love pays dividends now and for all eternity. And in our discussion of spiritual gifts, especially as we go into chapter 14, in that discussion of spiritual gifts, may we not move far from love. May we not go too far as to forget about how everything is to function. Love is the foundational characteristic of God's people. And I love this quote from D.A. Carson that says that the greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our sphere, that the Spirit has been poured out upon us, that we are citizens of a kingdom not yet consummated, is Christian love. May our love for one another be this undeniable evidence to the world, to our God, that God has changed us, that he is among us. Let's pray together. Father, teach us how to love. Teach us how to love one another. Teach us how to love you. And in that journey of, of learning how to love one another well, God, may we just continue to look to you and be captured by your love for us and try to just image that well. God, help us as a body and as individuals to think through how we can give love the prominence and the primacy that it deserves in our gatherings and in our lives. May we be a church, God, please, that is known way more for its love for you and for one another than for anything else. And may that draw people from this neighborhood and from the entire world into what is going on here. And may we share with them the love that you have given us. God, all these things are from your hand. You have loved us, and we love because you first loved us. Help us do it well.